Welcome to Africans Heal. We're here to foster a healthy African diaspora community and promote mental health awareness through storytelling and celebrating our cultures. We're here to heal together. Tupone Pamoja. So hi everyone. Today on this episode of Africans Heal, I'll be talking to Lobka Hine. Lobka and I connected virtually through Transformation Church B Groups. I was looking for a virtual B group and hers stood out to me. We then connected on WhatsApp and clicked. It was as though we had known each other for years. I wanted to get Lobka on this podcast to have her share her insights with us. She is a millennial South African woman living in Cape Town, South Africa, one of the biggest cities in Africa. She also hosts her own podcast, which she launched this year. She'll talk more about that. She's an actress. She speaks four languages fluently. She has traveled the world and is wise beyond high years. I am so excited about this episode. So welcome, Lobka. Hi, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. That was quite the intro. Oh my gosh. I don't even, I'm not even entirely sure you're speaking about me, but thank you for that. (laughs) So Lobka, why don't you tell us, introduce yourself as well. I know that I did give us a little bit intro of who you are. But who is Lobka? I feel like when we describe ourselves, like only we can introduce ourselves the best. So who are you? I am a 27-year-old colored woman from South Africa. I have Dutch name, a German surname, and no familial ties to either nationality. I studied acting. I play the flute. I studied music as well. I am through and through an entertainer. Love entertainment, love entertaining. So I suppose being in a podcast and starting my own podcast is just the obvious way to go because I love to talk. So your listeners might find that out that I speak a lot (laughs) and you know that from B group meetings and just from phone calls, there's just a never ending word flow from my mouth. So that's me in a nutshell. You mentioned that you're colored. So for the rest of the world, Ah, that may be, you know, it's a term that like in America, I wouldn't go up to someone and call them colored, Mm. but do you mind just explaining to the rest of the world who may not get, why is she calling herself colored? Like why do South Africans still call themselves colored? And is that a term you also take pride in? So maybe give us background on what colored is. So colored is a culture. It is a, I suppose it's something left over from apartheid. We're not African and we're not white, <laughs> we're, we're colored. But over the years, over the decades, it's sort of become its own institution of just such a great big culture. I take so much pride in being colored and telling people that I am colored. I know it has negative connotations in everywhere else in the world, but I think if you came to South Africa and you didn't give colored people the credit 
or the title of being colored would kind of be insulted. So we're just like this mix from really light-skinned people to really dark-skinned people to lots of flavor. We have certain, we've just got a really big culture, a really rich culture that is predominantly based in the Western Cape. So the Cape Town areas is basically where we're predominantly from. But you'll find us all across South Africa and none of us are the same, but we're the same. I suppose that can be said as well about any culture that no matter where they are, you can be like, well, we're not the same, but we're the same. That was a terrible explanation, but that is the only way I can explain who we are. I suppose that has to be one of those things where I have to be like, you have to come to South Africa, experience the culture, and you'll be like, ah, makes sense. I get it. So what makes the person colored? Is it mixture with other races or? No. Like, um, no. So, no, not at all. So colored is, it's definitely a cultural thing. It's a way we speak. It really, it's like the way we dress, the way we carry ourselves. Colored is culture. I suppose in like for people like around the world, you'll see someone take Trevor Noah, for instance, Daily Show host. He would be colored in terms of that he's mixed race. So he's got an African mom and a white dad, but that makes him mixed. But then in South African terms, he wouldn't be colored because he doesn't have the culture. And he himself said that in a special as well, that he is colored by color and not culture. So it is really in South Africa, it's really a culture thing. There's no like intellectual way I can explain it and be like, this is how you can differentiate us. It's one of those things that as a colored person, I know how to find my people, but other people would be highly confused as to how you know that. So yeah, there's no intelligent way to explain that. Colored is a culture, but you can also be colored by being mixed, but yes, to qualify as a fully colored person, you do need the culture as well. That is correct. Yes. So if I was like half black, half white in South Africa, would I be considered a colored person? You would be considered a colored, colored person. <laughs> colored by color, <laughs> <laughs> not by culture. Okay. So yeah, so it's really... It's a language. It's a type of way of living. We're very community orientated. We're, we're very big on tradition. There's traditions that spread, you know, countrywide amongst colored people in terms of the food and how we celebrate certain holidays. So for instance, on Easter, we have pickled fish and hot cross buns. Nobody else in like no other South African culture eats that on Easter. And we don't really have a reason as to why that is. It's just a tradition amongst colored people. You'd go to another per- another colored person's house and you'd find pickled fish and hot cross buns there. And nobody makes it the same, but it's at every colored person's house at Easter. It's just, it's a thing. So it's really just a mixture of culture and tradition that just make us who we are, I guess. What are the four different languages that you speak fluently? I speak English, Afrikaans, German, and Dutch. And what language do Khaled speak? 
Uh, predominantly Afrikaans, actually, and then English, depending on where in the country they live. <laughs> okay. So most colored people don't speak African languages? No. Like Zulu? No. And how come? How? Why is that? Is it because that was seen as a less sophisticated thing to do, to speak African languages? No. This, again, ties back to the way apartheid set up our country in such a way that different cultural groups never really mixed with each other, that it's only now in recent years that sort of, I suppose you can be like the millennial generation are getting to mix with other cultures and getting in touch with their languages and having the opportunity to learn those languages in school. So before it was that Africans were in their towns where they had their schools and then colored people were in their towns where they had their schools and their languages and Caucasian people were in the cities where they had their schools and their languages. So it's really only in recent years where there's been sort of a mixing of all of this. Because I know the town mm -hmm. I come from in South Africa, it's a really small town in one of our middle provinces in the northwest. So that's sort of in the middle of nowhere, where the way apartheid set up our town, the people still live like that. The colored community stays in the colored community. The African community stays in their community. The white people stay in their community. And really just because the shopping centers are in the center, that's basically the only reason that people venture out of their towns to mix there and then everybody goes back home or that their kids go to school in town. So we go to town school and those kids have a whole bunch of other identity crises because of that. But yeah, so that's the way it's still structured in, in a lot of the provinces in South Africa. It's really just the big cities where integration just sort of ran away with the city so they couldn't stop it and everybody's integrated and harmoniously living. But in smaller towns, it's still very much segregated. So it's not that we don't want to speak the languages. It's just that we've never gotten the opportunities to learn it. And now at a later stage, it's sort of like, no, it's okay. It's okay. I'll learn it mm -hmm. along the way, I guess. Or I understand it enough to get me by. I don't need to learn it I don't need to be able to speak it. So I can understand and speak back in English, I guess. What language is that that you, you can understand, but you speak back? Uh, Tswana, Kwasa, Zulu, and a bit of Sutu. It depends on where I am. Yeah. So predominantly where I am from is they speak Sitswana. So I think because I've been around them so much, like, I can understand it so I can reply in English, I guess. And then when you move to the Cape, there's a lot of Kosa people here. So I think when I lived in Cape Town while studying, I sort of picked that up by ear to know enough what people are saying to me to be able to sort of reply back in English. So, yeah. So do you consider yourself an African woman or do you consider yourself a colored South African woman? I think this is a two-part question. I will put it like this. I think I identify as a colored South African woman, but I am an African woman. I am a daughter of the African continent. I would never negate 
my roots in that way, but who I am today is because of the cultural group I've grown up in. So I'm definitely colored South African, but I am African. Like this is my mother continent. So I would never be like, no, I'm colored. I'm not African. No, that's not. Okay. Because I think the the misconception with other Africans is like, oh, colored people don't want to be considered black or like African. So maybe misconstrue it to be that. Yeah, I can see how that could come across as that way. But really, it's a culture like any other. I think it would be the same as being an African person in a European country. You'd be used to the European cultures of doing things because maybe you were born there and that's just the culture you grew up in. But you as yourself, essentially to the core of who you are is an African person. I am definitely, I'm African. I will I will stand on that and for that always. It's just my culture and my identity is colored because I don't I don't know any other way. <laughs> I definitely like how you explain culture because I don't think a lot of us understand what culture really means. And as a Kenyan woman who's been living in America for so many years, I think part of like the identity battle is feeling like well, if I become Americanized, it means that I'm abandoning my African side or like my Kenyan side. But that's not true because acculturating is like, you can't run away from that if you live in a different place and you live with different people. So like you take on the culture of those around you and those that you live with for you to survive. So part of like even me doing this podcast is trying to let people know that the core of who you are does not change. So if you were if you were born to Kenyan parents, like the core of that does not change. Like it's in our DNA and we should appreciate that, but also appreciate the different cultures that have accepted us that we've lived in, like you're you're saying. Yes. It's so, Mm -hmm. because it's so amazing. I think that, I don't know, it creates for such a richer experience of life when you get Mm -hmm. to interact with different cultures and see how different people live and how they do things. Because like I said, I come from a really small town. So that way of living was all I knew. And when I became exposed to the world, it sort of built characteristics in me that I was like, oh, okay, I can disagree with the way we do things here. And I cannot want to live that way. I can want to do things differently because there's a lot of like institutionalized cultural things that people do. And when you get exposed to more things, I think it sort of helps you discover where you are as a person, not abandoning any culture, not abandoning any racial group or denying who you Mm -hmm. are, but just allowing yourself to grow into your own person, realizing that you don't have to carry the colored history on in actions and words and deeds. You can still be a colored woman who chooses not to live in a small town and only surround herself with other colored people and never leave because you don't know what those people out there are like, that you can, you can grow. So I think I'm, I've been really appreciative. And I think it's made me more appreciative of who I am as an African woman. And as a colored woman in South Africa, it's made me realize more of who I am and what I stand for. So that's been, yeah, that's just 
it's so necessary, I would say, to engage with other people and other cultures. Just if anything that you get out of this is that you can be like, ah, okay, okay, cool, cool. (laughs) Exactly. And I think it's, I like how you put it that we can embrace that side of ourselves and still be open-minded to other cultures and other people. I mean, that's the only way we can learn about others. And at the end of the day, we are more similar than we are different. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's a very deep history you have there. (laughs) (laughs) What small town are you from? Okay. So I am from Clogstorp in the Northwest province. People from Clarkstorp would know that that's not how you pronounce it. It is Clarkstorp, <laughs> but okay. it's Clarkstorp in the Northwest province. Okay. And how, if I was to come to that city and to ask, where does Lobka live? How would I say that? You want to ask something <laughs> Afrikaans? <laughs> yes. Teach us a little bit of it. How do oh, we wow. even introduce uh, ourselves? Introduce yeah, yourself, met, it's fine. What would you want to say? Yeah. yeah, let's go with what you want to say. So if I meet you, I'm like, hi, my name's Christine. What's your name? Okay, so then I would go, hi, my name is Lopke. Good uh, you to meet Christine. Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, let's go one word at a time. Okay, hi, hi. my name is. Hi, my name is. Yes. Hi, my name is Christine. Christine. Yeah, but then you, the R is really heavy. So you have to go Christine. Christine. There we go. Christine. Yeah, that's it. Yes, you actually. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, good for you. So you'd go, hi, my name is Christine. If you're asking me what my name is, then you'd go, what is your name? You said you also speak German. How do you switch between the accents? Because... They're a little different. With, yes, with great difficulty. I'm not going to lie. I think for me, it's easier for me to switch. If I go English, Afrikaans, Dutch, German, then when you expect me to go from Afrikaans to German, because those three languages, they're the, st- they're the same stem language. So they sound a lot alike. They've just got accents on their words. So. Because I learned Dutch first, I can switch between Dutch and my mother tongue quicker than I can between my mother tongue and German. So German, I'd have to be in German conversation to be like, okay, <laughs> I've I've got it. But it takes a bit of concentration for me to be like, okay, I hear you. And now I can speak. Wow, that was a great history lesson. <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> So I'm out here teaching. I know. (laughs) So how has this shaped who you are now? Like what identity crisis issues did you go through growing up in South Africa, traveling and your faith journey? How have those things shaped who you are? Firstly, it was not easy. I don't think anyone's sort of journey into being completely content with themselves is always an easy one because it's really like being given a cinder block and you have to start carving. And it's like, no, make the Michelangelo's David here a block. Go at it. 
So it's really like chipping away at this fixing there. So for me, within South Africa, I always, I never really felt very South African because like I explained, I went to school in town. So I gotten the quote unquote white education. So going back then every day to my small town where people had learned to switch between sounding like town and sounding like mm. home. I had never learned that. I never understood the need for that. I didn't get why it was necessary to be two different people just because you're in two different spaces. So for me, even in my hometown, it was really difficult to adapt because essentially I'd always sounded like this. And when I'd visit family who are predominantly Afrikaans speaking, that it, it didn't work for me very well there as well. Because again, I sounded like this and they sound, they were Afrikaans. So it was really like growing, my formative years was sort of like, where do I even fit in in the grand scheme of all of these like people? Because I'm smart enough to realize like, I'm not a white person, but to every other colored person, they were like, yeah, why do you sound white? And I, I never understood what, like, I never understood that. I think even as an adult, I'm just like, what is that? Is it like a way to put down you just sounding this way or the level of education you got? Like, what, what is that? But okay, anyway, that's a tangent. <laughs> so that was sort of, that was difficult for me. And then going to, to study, I moved to Cape Town where, like I said, it's such a well-integrated city that I was like, now I don't stick out like a, like a sore thumb. So now what do I do? So here it was really carving out who I wanted to be as a person. And small town people, I think we always have a hard time then being dropped in the big pool of the city and nobody knows you and nobody really cares. Like everybody's mm -hmm. just like, okay. It's just your immediate circle of friends that you make that really sort of know who you are. Other than that, like nobody does and nobody really cares. And then for me, it was meeting straight people and lesbians and gay people and LGBTQ people all along the rainbow and meet and seeing interracial couples of all kinds of mixed races, not only in terms of like black and white, but then like all across the board, it was just, it was like just color. It was like, mm -hmm. um, there's that Robin Williams film about where he climbs into paintings. I can't remember the title of the film. And it kind of feels like that where you're suddenly like in like this multitude of color. There's just so much going on. You're kind of like how do I carve out who I am in the city that's so built on individuality? Like, how do I even, how, how? I didn't, I had no mm -hmm. idea. So I spent a lot of my early twenties being like other people, like trying to 
by osmosis, I guess, become them <laughs> or like chameleon into them because I didn't understand who I was in this like grand scheme of the city life. It's like dropping like a white pencil into like box of crayons. The white pencil gets so like dirty once you pull it out there if you've shaken the box and you've dug in there because it's taken on bits of all the other colors that have just sort of rubbed off on this pencil and then you try to color with it and you're like no but you're a white pencil why aren't you doing like white pencil things why yeah like why sometimes like is there a hint of blue in in the white So it was really, then for me, it was like that. I was like, okay, sometimes I'm like this. Sometimes I'm like that. I'm a hipster. I'm a punk rocker. No, I'm not. Okay, now I'm like totally like chilled, mellow girl. Oh, I want to do homemade soaps and got my nose (laughs) pierced and wanted to get my ears stretched. And it was a very tumultuous time for me. Like carving out my own identity then was just, it was mm-hmm. really hard. And I was studying acting. So it, that was really like, you had to become a clean slate because you have to be able to take on different people all the time. So within that, you were asking me, become an individual, but also don't become an individual because you need to be other people. So it was hard. I still, like now when I think about it, I'm like, I could have never been the best performer I could have been in that time because I had no idea who I was, none whatsoever. So expecting myself to then be a good actress, not even knowing who I am, was just, it was a tall order that was never going to happen. So that was that part. And then I decided after... I graduated. I didn't want to be an old lady after retirement deciding to travel. I wanted to be young Mm -hmm. and fun and see the world while I was still 20. And again, coming from South Africa, our currency doesn't lend itself to travel. I took on all pairing and I thought, okay, let me go to the Netherlands. Dutch is close to Afrikaans. I'll be able to adapt real quick. I'm good with this. Let me go. And I went to the Netherlands and Dutch was nothing like Afrikaans. I couldn't adapt. They are a quiet people. I am a loud person. (laughs) They didn't get what they couldn't figure me out because to them, when you mention Africa, They think really dark people, really starving people, people they need to lend their European euros to. They think UNICEF ads and poverty. And they saw me and they were just like, what's happening? Like, mm, I had someone ask me, okay, but no, like, why do you look the way you look? And I was like, what does that mean? And they wanted, essentially, they were asking how I was mixed. And explaining continuously that I wasn't mixed, they kept trying to sort of correct me and be like, no, but we mean like, is your grandmother like white? And I'm like, no, no, but is your dad? And they kept trying to figure out who was the white person that made my skin so light. And the more I kept telling them that that wasn't the case, they were just shooketh 
So that <laughs> helped me understand myself. And it sounds weird because it's like, why would that help you understand who you are? Because it really just allowed me to then look at how I identify, why I identify that way, who I wanted to be when people saw me, who I was going to stand up for myself being. Because if I didn't know that, there was no way I'm going to be able to stop people in their tracks and be like, listen, do not try to figure that out because like, it's not important. Like, what, what does that add? Like, does it make me a better person if it helps you figure out who, how, why, where? No, it doesn't. So it really forced me to sit with myself and be like, okay, Lofka, like, who do you want to be? Not who do people say you are, not where do you come from, not what have you learned about yourself, but who do you want to be? And yeah, and then I got to go to Italy, got to work in Italy for a bit, and then I was au pairing again in Germany. And all along my my travels, I picked up pieces about myself. I realized I'm independent here. I travel well alone. I I don't travel well with other people. I like certain things. I stand for different things. So really, I grew so much in that. And then in my faith, strangely enough, I grew up in a Christian home, in a Christian community. I knew Christianity from birth. And then being plopped in European cities where Christianity is not in the forefront mm-hmm. of of their lifestyles it's a, there's no better way to explain it like i just forgot it just became not important to me as well and then you know as a christian there comes a point where you're just like yeah this is this is not <laughs> i can't do life like this i cannot they, i cannot live without like my faith without church or community or just mm, you know that that sense of home that that my that religion brings to you that sense of it's comforting it's yeah I don't know it's it's got this homey goodness about it and I just had to then come to a realization that me without God me without my faith that wasn't the kind of person I wanted to be. It wasn't a well-functioning person. Mm-hmm. So I needed to find my way back. And that's also that's also how I found Transformation Church. And mm-hmm. because terrible relationship with Dutch guy. And yeah, that didn't work. We're not going to get into that. But all of that just <laughs> made me long for that like feeling of mm-hmm. security again. And that security was the kind of security that could only come from my faith. It it couldn't come from anywhere else. I tried it. <laughs> I tried. It didn't work. Like my faith was then it offers this kind of security that's just like a warm blanket or getting in your bed at the end of a really long day and just going, <sighs> mm that and that was what I'd been waiting for it's like what's the movie's name waiting to exhale it's like just everything had been building inside I'd I'd been traveling I'd been studying I'd been 
in this mixture pot of everything for so long, just trying to discover who I am and who people are and where do I fit in and what is my opinion and what do people think of me and all of that. And I was just waiting to exhale. And the moment I could do that, I was like, "Mm, see, this is what's been missing. I need God. I need my religion. I need this spiritual relationship with something bigger than myself. And understanding that brought me to a better understanding of how I want my life to go from here on out. That was Mm -hmm. a very long story, but I hope that even answered your question. (laughs) You did. And it's a good segue to what I was going to ask you, which is, what your rock bottom moment was and who God is to you. Because I think when a lot of people think of Christianity, they think of like a God who is just so mean and that we're just a group of people who are built to follow rules and we're just following rules because maybe scared of heaven and hell. You know, that's what a lot of people think. So who is God to you? and what moment did you hit in all that you were going through, like the traveling and trying to figure out pieces of yourself? So who is God to you? And what was your moment that you were like, no, I, life is bigger than this? Okay, so I will answer the second one first and then the first one second. <laughs> so my rock bottom, my aha moment, if you want to call it that, is I had started dating really late in life. I started dating at 24. And I don't know, I don't know if I was trying to play catch up, if I was looking for some kind of validation, because also growing up, I'd never felt pretty. I was never the pretty one. I was like that movie. See, I'm an actress. (laughs) I'm a film person. Like that film, The Duff, The Designated Ugly Fat Friend. When I saw that movie for the first time, I was like, "That, that was me. For all of my childhood, all of my teen years, my friends were always prettier than me. Guys always wanted to be my friend, to be hooked up with my friends. So it's like I was the buddy. It always looked over. And then I started to rely on my intellect to sort of, I don't know, make me superior. So I studied music and I studied and I studied and I studied and I studied. And then at 24, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should try this dating thing. I'm in a different country. Nobody knows me. Nobody here knows that I am the Duff. So I can start over. And I just started dating, fell into a terrible relationship. When that relationship was over, I was just so angry that I'd wasted such a long time in such a bad relationship that I just wanted to date. And I just wanted to make sure that the guys I dated knew I didn't care, that I was so superior to them that I was doing them a favor by being on this date. And I serially dated for the better part of a year. And rock bottom came when one guy saw right through all of that and he confronted that arrogant part of me that thought it was okay to do this. And I couldn't deny it. I couldn't deny any of the awful things he was saying about me. It wasn't a lie. It was the Mm -hmm. honest truth. 
and nobody wants to be faced with someone going you're not a good person you're a liar you treat people terribly you're you know saying all of those things about you and you not being able to deny it you're just standing there confronted with like the worst parts of you and that that evening it was a conversation i had with this guy that evening and that evening it just felt like this weight was sitting on my chest of this person i had now become and i couldn't believe that i had become this person i had no idea how i couldn't pinpoint where it all started to unravel and how to fix it and i'd remembered what praying was like <laughs> i remembered what praying was taught to be for and i just started praying i just was like listen guy in the sky if you are there help me because what is what is happening what is happening and i just started praying i was sitting on a carpeted floor in an attic bedroom in small town holland just crying and praying and remembering what what i knew about christianity and religion and faith and it just became so comforting i know this is a word i'm using so much to describe it but that's the only way i can describe it the feeling was just so comforting that i could let it all out and just be done with it just let it all out and be done with it and then i just wanted to hear people talk about this god i knew about but didn't mm-hmm. know for myself this god my mom was always talking about the pastor in church was always talking about while i was like waiting for the time to be over so they could go home this god that i at some point tried to form a relationship with but it didn't it didn't work so i just let it go and moved on and i just i started watching sermons on youtube thank god for youtube he knew how much lives it would save <laughs> and and i just youtube is watching. amazing yes and i just because also when you crack a bible from ground zero you have no idea where to begin you don't know what you're reading you don't know what you're looking for there so you just need someone else to speak it to you until you get to a place where you yourself can interpret this or understand what it is you're reading where the stories sort of infiltrate your life and they're not just stories and that was where i needed to start i was starting from rock bottom i was getting up from the dust and ashes of what i had made my life become and i just started watching sermons and td jakes and steven furtick and robert madu and pastor michael todd and i just committed myself to soaking myself wholly in the word and with that to answer your second question i understood that god to me is he's my dad he's he's my father he's my comforter he's my provider 
He's someone I literally just vent to. <laughs> it's always so funny when people like, when I think of prayer in terms of prayer, because I just talk to God. I just talk. I just like I'm talking now. I'm just like, and this is going on and this is how I'm feeling and like, help me understand this. And he speaks back in the most amazing ways. If it's just a friend that calls, if it's a song I hear, if it's the next sermon I watch, it's, I don't know, it's just this incredible relationship that I can't explain. That's sort of like, sometimes you feel like you've got a sibling. Sometimes it's like, you've got a father sometimes it's just like he's teaching you it's these i don't know god's just all of it to me i think i've gotten to the point in my life where i can't do life without him i wouldn't know how to but also that i don't want to i don't want to do mm-hmm. life without him and that i know that he's always there and that my life has been such evidence of his presence that I can't, that I wouldn't deny it. I can't deny it and I wouldn't deny it. He's just, he's everything in my life. He's the person, the being that I turn to first. And then I'm like, okay, you're taking too long to answer. Let me ask a friend and my friend will tell me exactly what I'd been hoping to get from him. And I was like, ah, I see what you did there. So really, it's this all-encompassing love, acceptance, and understanding that no matter how flawed I am, no matter what sins I come from, no matter what downfalls I faced, that he loves me anyway, that there's, there's just comfort in his presence, that there's love in his presence, that there's peace in his presence. I fought so hard for peace in my life. And to find that by just drawing closer to him, mm, top notch. Don't know that that explained anything, but I, I don't particularly know that I can explain how that feels. I can just tell you as a feeling, it's just incredible. It's just such... You do go in detail about this in your podcast. So I'm going to link that here. And those listening, you can go check out Lobka's podcast, Life with Lobka. It's on Spotify, Apple. Which other um, sites is it on? Oh, it's on Anchor. It's on Google Podcasts. It's on, I think it's a radio podcast. Listen, Mm -hmm. even I don't know where all it's available. If it's not available, on your streaming device. I am on Instagram as well. So I've listed where it's available on my Instagram. It's also Life with Lotka. So you will find me. You will find me. We'll be sharing all that. And I'm going to be sharing snippets of you also on our Instagram page on African Seal on Instagram. So if you feel touched by Lotka's story, go check her out. In your podcast, you also have this episode about adoption and you talk about how you were adopted. How did that play a role in you seeking in you seeking love as an adult? Do you think that also affected the kind of people you were choosing to date? Definitely, 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 definitely. On top of being adopted, I was in a single parent home. 
So my adoptive dad passed away a few weeks after I turned one. So I'd never known a father figure in a household. The My immediate friends, my mom's friends were all single moms. So I'd only known single mom homes. And that with being adopted. So just, yeah, besides the, the craziness that adoption leaves the adopted child feeling like, ooh, that was terrible English. Besides all the emotional baggage <laughs> you have as an adopted child, then being in a single parent home and not knowing a dad, then being popped into this world that is dating, then found that I couldn't grab a hold of it. I didn't understand dating. I didn't know how to date, basically. The people I was choosing to go on dates with, they required a different version of myself than what I was. And I tried to adapt to that because I thought that was what was necessary to make this relationship work. I needed to be what my male counterpart needed me to be because, yeah, I didn't know how to navigate this relationship thing, this this two-person relationship thing. I was an independent person. My mom had raised me to be an independent woman. So, yeah, it was, yeah, dating was, it was weird. It was very strange. So I think in that it... It allowed me to sort of, it was confusing, but also it was, it was a learning experience. So, yeah. We definitely want to hear more about that and more on advice you'd have for, you know, someone out there who's listening. I can't believe we've been talking for almost an hour. I know we can I talk feel like, yeah, yeah. for hours. Yeah, I was about to you say, know, I so feel like that's from- us. So I don't know why you're surprised, but sure. I've learned so much in this episode. I've learned who colored people are, what colored <laughs> culture is, and just um, you delving in deeper into identity and what that means to you and who you are. So thank you so much for sharing all that with us thank and being so vulnerable. Because and for just letting me ramble. Like what? <laughs> it's not easy to share. So it's really bold for you to come out and share all that about yourself. And sh- the more that you even share a lot on your podcast. So you all have to go check out her uh, podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Christine. Of course, you have to come back. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Please be sure to leave us a review. That will be very beneficial. It will help put this podcast on the map so others can find it. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Africans Heal. Check out our website at africansheal.com. Share this episode with a friend and be sure to tune in next week. You do not want to miss it.